God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, Father, for uh, your presence here this morning. Uh, we thank you, God, that you're bigger and greater. And even when things seem to uh, go awry, even when uh, plans don't necessarily work out like we want them to, um, I'm grateful, Father, that you uh, allow us to remain focused. Uh, what a great example we just saw of that. And uh, technology is great when it works. Uh, but oftentimes it doesn't, and uh, there's not one of us in here that has a perfect life. So when those distractions come, when those things that try to draw us away from our walk with Jesus happen, I pray that you remind us of the necessity of staying in your word. I pray that you would remind us that we do have an enemy, that he is prowling around, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Help us not to be fearful, but help us to acknowledge the reality of spiritual warfare. Now, Father, as we open your word, there'll be, there'll be temptations, there'll be things that occur in our mind, and maybe outside of our mind, that attempt to distract us. And I pray that you would Eliminate those distractions for us, God. Help us to remain focused on what you would have us to not only learn, but to apply to our lives today. We thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you most of all for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we celebrate. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You'll grab your Bible, grab your uh, smart device, however you see the scriptures this morning, and keep those handy. We're going to look at a New Testament uh, text in Luke chapter 1, uh, but we're also going to be turning back to the Old Testament a few times. And so uh, if you'll bear with me, I'll give you a few minutes to turn to those, those texts as, as we move forward, but um, keep those things handy if you would. And if you're so inclined... I would ask that you maybe jot down some notes and, and take a look at these things uh, later. Let me begin by going back to what we've discussed the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at, at anticipation. I think the Christmas season, as the weather changes, as you see decorations going up throughout cities and throughout neighborhoods and maybe even in your own house, as you see the stage change um, throughout the seasons, I think one of the things that Christmas always uh, reminds me of is this anticipation of things that things are always changing. Things are never stagnant. And I've been thinking, especially this Christmas, as we uh, spoke about a couple of weeks ago, that this Christmas would be much different than any other Christmas. That somehow, some way, the people in this room and outside this room, people that have a connection with, with Hillcrest or people in your, your family that you interact with, that our Christmas season, if you will, not just December 25th, but our Christmas season would be much different. And that is by way of anticipation. What are we looking forward to? What are we looking for? We all live in broken world. We all have struggles. We all have suffering. We all have something that doesn't go our way. And yet, what are we anticipating when God shows up, right? Emmanuel. That means something, right? Hope, that means something. The elders know that I, was, I, I went and was able to serve at a, 
at a funeral this past week in Austin for a dear old lady. You guys have heard me say, the little old lady that says, I know that I know that I know. She passed away. And, uh, and so I went this past week, and she was 98 years old. Um, and just one person after another were talking about joy and hope and faith and grace and all these things this lady had poured into her life and it's all because of of Jesus right I want to take you back 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus once again you heard this text last week but I think it's important enough for us to read it again from Isaiah chapter 40 if you don't know the Israelites are in flux they're in a struggle they're in some sort of suffering in fact it seems like them against the rest of the world. So they, they realize that it's, it's them, literally, against the rest of the world. And um, they need some hope. And so this is 700 years prior to the Christ child being born. When the prophet Isaiah reads in Isaiah chapter 40, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That means peace, right? That her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord, the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert's highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That is great news for the Israelites 700 years prior to Jesus Christ being born. And I would offer to you in 2019, that's great news for us as well. That God knows your suffering, that God knows your struggles, that God knows that your life is not ideal and that God is working behind the scenes if you will to make things right right restoration revival redemption all those things happen all because of Jesus Christ we saw how an angel called Gabriel shows to Mary and he gives her great news in fact she will bear the Christ child we, we talked about that conversation last week. Today I want to focus on her particular song. But before we look at Luke 1, 46 and following, I want to ask you to do me just a favor for the next 15 seconds. Think back with me to the most, one of the most happiest times of your life. You don't have to say it out loud, but just think about when you were most happy. Maybe it was the birth of a child when the doctor placed that child in your arms. Pretty cool, right? Look at their smiles, right? Maybe it's your first grandchild. Maybe it's when the doctor comes out and gives you good news. When was it when you were most joyful? When you were most happy? Now, don't you think when Gabriel shows up and says, Greetings, favored one. You have found favor with God. You will bear a child, and he will be called Jesus. He will be the Savior of the world. Don't you think that after she was able to process some of that, of course, 
that she was pretty happy about that, right? She goes to Elizabeth, if you know the text, and as she's conversing with Elizabeth, what happens? The baby, right, jumps in the womb for joy, is what it says, right? I think about songs throughout Scripture. You might remember Moses as they cross over the Red Sea, and Moses and Aaron and their sister Miriam, they sing a song to God, and they recognize God for, for who He is. Think about all the Psalms, and we'll look at a couple of Psalms here in just a moment, where David or the psalmist are recognizing God's faithfulness, and it seems like there's a certain joy, right? It's, it's more than just a, a fleeting emotion. There's something within them that is crying out to, to respond to God's goodness and God's faithfulness. think a text called the Magnificat, the text that we're all familiar with, this text in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, will speak to the joy that Mary, this young virgin Jew, has, not just for her and Joseph, but for everyone who will listen. Listen to what she says, Luke 1, beginning in verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My my soul magnifies the Lord, right? Yeah. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to His offspring, forever. You know, we just finished up a... I say we finished up. Um, I think you know what I mean when we think about Thanksgiving. We just came through the Thanksgiving season. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Hopefully we didn't finish up Thanksgiving. We sang the old hymn, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one. Sometimes I think we're prone to go through Thanksgiving um, and get to Christmas pretty quickly, right? Because of all the stuff that happens at Christmas. But if there was ever a count your blessings song for Mary, wouldn't you think this would be it? I, I mean, wouldn't you think that this is, if we had testimony time, I've mentioned to you guys before, our churches uh, back in the day, a church I grew up in when I was a kid, fifth Sunday on a Sunday evening was called Testimony Time. Some of you nod your heads like you remember some of that, right? Where somebody would say, let me tell you, uh, please rejoice with me. This is what God has done for me, right? And maybe it was a big thing, maybe it was a little thing or whatever, but there was, there was this open mic night, if you know what I mean, right? Where everybody was acknowledging the goodness of God. And I think if Mary was at one of those Testimony Times, the Magnificat, this, this song, 
in Luke 1, 46 and following, would be her testimony, right? Look what God has done. If you remember last week, we talked about the significance of the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Matthew, if you remember, the theme is Emmanuel, God with us. That means everything. The equation has changed. Anybody remember that? God with us. But the Gospel of Luke has to do with the poor become rich. You saw that in the text we just read. The poor become rich. What does she mean by that? She's not talking about material possessions, is she? No, she doesn't. I mean, after all, Jesus, the the Savior of the world, is not born in royalty. He's born in a manger. So what does she mean by rich? It's much more than material possessions. If you know Jesus Christ, you are rich. If you have the ability to converse with the Creator of the world, you are rich. You follow what I'm saying? We're not talking about the way the world defines things. We're talking about the way God defines things. And so Mary, because of what God has done for her, acknowledges the goodness of God. I think there's a lot we can learn from a young Jewish virgin throughout these verses. First of all, I want you to notice in her particular song, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does it mean? Magnifies the Lord. I can't keep quiet. We sing this old traditional song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You guys know that Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. But we sing it with such emotion, right? You laugh because most of us sing monotone. Hark the Herald. You know, we're just trying to get the notes right. I, I think when I, when I read Revelation, when I read text about worshiping God, when I think about angels worshiping God, I mean, think about this for just a second, right? We're celebrating at a funeral of a dear old faithful saint knowing that what Paul says is to be absent from the body is to be present in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And a lot of us have kind of tossed that around in our mind, but you really don't know what's going to happen, do you? I can offer to you the first thing you're going to do is you're not going to worry about all this other stuff. You're going to worship. Right? And when you worship, it's not going to be like worrying about these notes. Right? It's going to be with all that you have. I mean, you're worshiping with all the saints. People that look like you. People that don't look like you. Everybody. We're worshiping because we understand that there's only one who has the ability to open up the Lamb's book of life. There's only one Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, right? I mean, think about worship. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing, right? And so when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if God has moved in and taken up residence in your life, why is it that the flesh tries to convince us that, oh, I'm not a singer. I'm just going to be quiet and let everybody else sing. Do you follow what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
why if we're really if we're really believing that God has done something for us, why wouldn't we declare as Mary declares, my soul magnifies the Lord. I can't help but tell somebody about go tell it on the go tell it on the mountain. If I hear that song one more time, right? No, really. That's the great commission. Right? And if we're passionate about about people the way God is passionate about people, we would do so like my soul can't help but magnify the Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? It changes everything. She goes on to say this phrase, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now most of us think we have an idea of what my Savior entails. What does it mean that she rejoices in God, her Savior? It's, it's more than just escaping from hell, I will offer to you. In fact, if you have your Scriptures there, if you'll turn back to Psalm chapter 34 for just a second, Psalm 34, I'll give you just 15 seconds to turn there. What does Mary mean by, not only does my soul magnify the Lord, but my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now this is a Jewish girl who's been told by Gabriel that she will give birth to the Christ child, that eventually he will save the world or give opportunity for the world to be saved through his righteousness. So she might not fully understand salvation the way we understand it. Or maybe we don't understand it the way she understands it. The psalmist, Psalm 34, says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Is that your testimony? Is that your story? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let, his, let us exalt His name together. I, I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears, and those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. And when he cried, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and, and delivers them. Oh, taste, church. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Oh, come, children. Listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and Pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, church, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Is this good news? Come on. This is good news, right? 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Now let me ask you again, based upon Psalm 34, remember, Mary is a good Jew. Surely she knows her psalms, right? The psalms were written way back in the Old Testament, and they were sung at many of the gatherings as the New Testament Christians would gather, and I'm sure that Mary probably knew not by Psalm 34, but she knew something of what we just read, right? And so what would she mean when she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior? Scholars tell us that Mary was most likely a person who belonged to a Jewish culture called the Anawim, A-N-A-W-I-M, the Anawim. Anawim have nothing to offer. They are the poorest of the poor. Do you understand caste systems? Everybody understand caste systems? You understand there is a pecking order, right? And this pecking order in Jewish genealogy, the Anawim are on the lowest part of the pecking order, right? We're not just Israelites, according to all other people, where we've talked about where everybody else has something against us. But Mary's a woman. And we've talked about that as well, right? In the ancient Near East, you are nothing if you're a woman. You have nothing to offer, especially if you have no husband. Your only options are prostitution or live the life of a beggar. That's reality, right? And so what do you need? You live a life of brokenness. You live a life of no hope. You live a life of despair. You need something to happen, right? You need somebody to fight your battle for you, right? Take your head like this, because that's what you need, right? And if you're part of the Anawim, the Jewish poor of the poor, right? That especially covers the way you live. And so when the angel Gabriel shows up and says, Greetings, O favored one, you will have the Christ child and he will change things. It's more than just about heaven and hell, church. It's about your hope has been restored. You have somebody who will fight for you. He is your Savior. Why? Because the poor become rich. right? Those without voice now have a voice. Why would you cry out in the wilderness if you have no voice? You know who gives you voice? The Spirit gives you voice. You hear what's happening here? right? The psalmist understood it, and surely this young Jewish virgin named Mary who found favor with God understood that it was not just about Jewish rabbi who would eventually grow up and be known as Jesus from Nazareth? No, it's much greater than that. He's her Savior. She can have hope. She can have joy. She can magnify the Lord. Is that what Christmas means to you? I mean, really. I, I, get, all the, I get all the commercialism and I get all the it's about, all about the kids. and I, But it's really not just about the kids. It's about us as well, right? And it's about us because God says it's about us. In other words, if God knows your struggles, if God knows your suffering, 
if God knows your life is not ideal, and by the way, it's not ideal, right? He's willing to do something about it. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? It should be, but is it? Because if it is, if God moves into our world and does something about our world, and we take, we take up that association, if we allow Jesus to do what Jesus does in our life, it should change everything. We should, this should, you should be the most joyful, and I'm not talking about the emotion, right? The, the giddiness. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about happy or joy. I'm, I'm talking about something that no matter what happens to you, you will not lose focus. You are God's chosen people. You are a royal people. You are a chosen people. A person that belongs to Jesus Christ, right? If that's the case, then the only thing you have to do is magnify the Lord. That's the only thing that that's the greatest part of Christmas for me. And so when Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, I, I hope that's your testimony this Christmas as well. I want you to notice um, verse 49 as well. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What would that mean, right? You've seen that verse many times. You've probably heard sermons on that verse. You may have heard Sunday school lessons discuss that verse. What does she mean when she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. If you don't know, there's some warrior language there. It's, it's God himself showing up and being her warrior. You know, when you've been in despair for so many days, so many weeks, so many months, so many seasons, so many years, you, you don't begin to see things the way you should. You, you begin to lose focus. And sometimes it's good to know that you have a warrior fighting on your behalf. And so when Mary acknowledges that this Messiah, that's what the Jew would look for in a Messiah. In some ways, it was faulty. If you remember, the apostles were looking for somebody to overthrow the Romans. But it was much bigger than that. It was The enemy is not the Romans. Do you understand? The enemy is Satan. The Romans can kill your flesh. But Satan's after your soul. You hear the difference? And so when Mary, this young virgin, recognizes that she now has a warrior that will fight for her, a warrior against the enemies. I want to remind you of a, a psalm you're all familiar with. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Did you hear that? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Those of you in Bible study, we've been talking about the anointing of David. How important is it that God anoints you, whether it's through Samuel or whether it's directly, right? It's, anointing is pretty important, right? And when the psalmist says he's been anointed by God himself, that's pretty important. Let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit moves into your life, listen, when the Holy Spirit moves into your life, when you receive 
salvation through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit moves into your life, guess what? You've been anointed by God to speak on His behalf to the world around you. That doesn't mean you're a preacher. But you've been anointed. Whether you like it or not. You, you can no longer say, that's not my job. God lives within us for a reason, right? God calls us to speak boldly to the world around us, right? And if you have the Holy Spirit living, I'm not talking about religion, no. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about if God lives within you, if the Holy Spirit lives within you and calls you to speak to the world around you, you've been anointed. So why don't you speak? Right? There's this flesh versus spirit thing that tries to, oh, just be quiet. Stand over here in the corner and be quiet. And Satan will be happy. And you'll be comfortable. You know, God never called us to a life of comfort. You understand that, right? He, he called us to a life of, of boldness. He called us to a life of changing the world. He called us to a life of making a difference. And the way we make a difference is not to have enough money in the bank. It's not the way the world defines those things. It's all because the Spirit lives within us. It's all because we have a warrior who fights our battles. I want to remind you, just reminded myself, but I want to remind you of a text. Check me on this, somebody. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, says something like, and this is when Moses is leading the people from, from the bondage from, from Egypt, and they're headed toward the promised land, and they're so frustrated with Moses and Aaron and the leadership that they're, you know, they, they, they bicker and complain and all these things, and and check me on this, Exodus 14, 14. Somebody tell me yes or no, but find the text that says, all you need to do is be still, the Lord will fight your battle for you. Is that what it says? Kevin says that's what it says. That's what it says. Or something to that effect in your Bible. Did you hear that? The Lord will fight for you. Mary, when Gabriel shows up and says, hey, I know, I know you're a young virgin, I know you're an Israelite. I know you're a woman in the ancient Near East. But guess what? I'm here to tell you there's a warrior that's going to move into your life, and guess what? He will fight for you. That's good news, right? Is that what Christmas means to you? Finally, for the sake of time, let's move on. Look down at verse 52. I believe it's 52. 52, 53. Listen to what it says. Luke 1, 52 and 53. Still the same song, Mary says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. She's not just talking about Romans. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. In other words, He has made things right. If you didn't catch it before when I read the Isaiah 40 text, I hope you'll catch it now. Go back and look at that text. Isaiah chapter 40 when they're looking for some kind of hope. And in the second temple period, when the Israelites are declaring to one another the goodness of God, it is saying the valleys will be made upright. The mountains will be made low. In other words, everybody has equal footing at the foot of the cross. 
So Mary says in Luke 1, 52 and 53, he made things right. Everything has been restored. Write this one down or turn with me if you will. Ezekiel chapter 21. We're almost done. Ezekiel chapter 21. Some of you are thinking, what does Mary's Magnificat have to do with Ezekiel? Ezekiel's a weird dude, right? He's, He's out there, right? But I think God uses the prophet for a reason. And if you'll notice down in verse, well, let's look at verse 22 and following. This is Ezekiel 21, 22 and following. Into his right hand comes a divination for Jerusalem to see battering rams, to open the mouth with murder, to lift up the voice with those shouting, to set battering rams against the gates, to cast up mounds, to build siege towers. But to them it will seem like a false divination. They have sworn solemn oaths, but He brings their guilt to remembrance that they may be taken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have made your guilt to be remembered, in that your transgressions are uncovered, so that all your deeds, your sins appear. Because you have come to remembrance, you shall be taken in hand. And you, O profane wicked one, prince of Israel, whose day has come. What is this about? This is about Satan. This is about judgment. In you that your transgressions are uncovered, so that in all your deeds your sins appear, because you have come to remembrance, you shall be taken in hand, and you, O profane wicked one, the prince of Israel, whose day has come, the time of your final punishment, thus says the Lord God, remove the turban, take off the crown, things shall not remain as they are. Why? Why will things not remain as they are? Because you know what? God cares enough to do something about your plight. God cares enough to do something about your despair. God cares enough that He's not going to sit by idly and do nothing about sin. And so Jesus comes. And He makes things right. You hear what goes on? The valleys are made level. The mountains be made low. This is redemption. This is restoration. This is the way things are supposed to be. Is that Christmas for you? This Christmas we've talked about anticipation. We've talked about what God does at Christmas. We've talked about Jesus Christ coming in the form of a servant, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. And he's not just a servant as we think of servants. He is God in the flesh. And because he's God in the flesh, he can be the perfect Lamb of God. Is that what you anticipate at Christmas? Or are you still caught up in all the The lights, the sounds, the food, the stuff. I challenge you sometime this afternoon, sometime this week, go back over what Mary says and go back over some of these Old Testament texts. Remember, she's a Jewish young lady. She would know her Jewish scripture. She would know the Old Testament. And so when she says, God, my Savior, it meant something to her. When she says that she had a warrior who would fight against her enemies, it's not about imprecatory. You guys know what imprecatory prayer is? When you pray against something, that's called imprecatory prayer. We're not talking about imprecatory prayer. We're talking about her deliverance from her enemies, as Psalm 23 mentions. And finally, she says that all things will be made right, all because of God showing up on the scene. There's a contemporary song that you probably have heard this year. I know you've heard it in the past. Um, 
Mary, did you know? You guys know that song? She knew. She knew. And her soul magnified the Lord. She knew things would change from that point forward. That was her Christmas. I wonder what Christmas will be like for you. God, for your promise, for your love, um, for the sacrifice you make for not only those of us in this room, but for those of us in the world. As we reflect on Christmas, God, I pray that it's not just about the way it's been in the past. Help us to understand what happened at Christmas. Help us to understand when the Creator enters our world and lives a sinless life and dies a brutal death and is raised again three days later. Help us to understand what Christmas is all about. Help us to join in the testimony of Mary and magnify the Lord and rejoice in our spirit because of what you've done for us. Help us to understand the warrior who fights for us, the one who has fought for us in the past, the one who will return on a white horse, the one we call Jesus Christ, the one sent from God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. Help us to understand what Christmas is all about. And finally, God, when given the opportunity to share the good news, because we all need good news. When given the opportunity to share the good news, may we do so willingly, responsibly, and boldly, recognizing your presence not only in this world, but in our individual and corporate as well, our lives. Because that changes everything. I pray that you would cause us to be the church. In Christ's name I pray.